Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat Online Book Club. My good friend Michael McLeod from Grow Now Therapy is going to be joining me and we are going to continue our discussion of the Declarative Language Handbook. So uh, thank you for joining us. It looks like Mike is here. Let's go ahead and get him added. Actually, I might have just added Linda, I think. Let's see here what's happening. There's, oh, yay! Hi, Linda. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you? Good. How are you? Just dandy, just dandy. I think there he you is. You added both of us at the same I, time. I, I am, wow. I'm, I'm getting good. I'm getting good. How that are you guys? <laughs> I'm doing good. great. How are you guys? Good, good. Happy New Year. Good. Did you guys drink any champagne or stay up till midnight or anything? <laughs> I was in bed by probably 1030. By 10.30. What about you, Linda? Yeah, yeah same. Wine and probably 10, 10.30. 10, 10.30. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was yep. awesome. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Any other way, yes. I remember when I had little ones at home, and we never, ever made it to midnight. This year, I made it to about 12.01, so I didn't okay. that. Oh, nice. <laughs> One Excellent. I like it. Excellent. All right. So it is a new year. It is 2022. How crazy does that sound? This is the first chapter chat of the new year. This is very exciting. Yeah, exciting. It is. It is. And we are reading, uh, well, the book is Declarative Language Handbook, and we are so uh, fortunate to have the author, uh, Linda Murphy, with us. And we are going to discuss chapters eight and hopefully chapter nine as well. So um, what is interesting is this book, Linda, you kind of divided it into sections. So this is part three, and you called it mechanics. So just tell us a little bit about how this differs from the first two parts of the book. Yeah, so the, the first part just gives the rationale behind declarative language and what we're going for and what areas will help develop or foster. And um, in chapter two, I just gave a snapshot of things to know or how, what to do to get started right away so that you mm -hmm. didn't have to wait too long to just get something going. And in the next two chapters, I just get deeper into how to vary your declarative language statements, ways to think about them. Um, so just more into how to do it, how to change up your language, get more comfortable trying different things out. Very good. I was, Very in, good. I was in my, uh, a quick little story. I was in my office this morning, so I, I uh, at the clinic, and I walk out into the waiting room. I'm talking to the, you know, the kids and the mom, and the mom pulls out her her purse or pocketbook, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to call it, and uh, and she goes, "Guess what I got, Mike?" And she goes like this, <laughs> and it's the declarative language. <laughs> and, nice. Like I saw like this part of it, and I was like, "Oh, I hope I hope you watch tonight." But it's it's great because I, you know, uh, just like we always talk about is. You know, the first couple of books we talked about, you know, the big picture of education. And a lot of people have reached out saying, what can I do at home? Right. What, what's something I can do? How can we start the movement? How can we bring about change? Uh, and we know the answer is executive functioning. And I think this chapter we're about to discuss tonight, chapter eight, is the best chapter so far for parents. Yes. Uh, incredibly helpful information, really breaking it down from just the eye wonders and things mm -hmm. like that and, mm -hmm. and in different ways. Uh, but this is something that parents can do in the chaos of the home. Because let's be honest, a lot of homes are chaos right now with everything going on, the holidays and school and shutdowns. So many yep. schools were shut down today. It was crazy. Uh, but using declarative language really helps to trigger the visual imagery and the self-talk and the perception of the environment. And this is something parents can do really easily. Yeah, and not only parents, but also I'm thinking, you know, educators. Tomorrow I'm going yeah. to do a consultation uh, up at an early childhood center. And um, I've already done an in-person consult with, like, the teachers and the SLP and the principal. And then tomorrow they want me to come in and basically talk to the entire staff and try to get them on board with, you know, affecting change. And I cannot wait to really talk about to using – this is something they can do – the minute I leave, like it's nothing like yes. you have to be trained further. It can get them thinking. It can get them really understanding that when a child is distressed, because we're talking about kids with some challenging behaviors, kids with, um, you know, social uh, language, you know, uh, challenges. And uh, so instead of, and I love how on page 49, the very first page <laughs> of this chapter, Linda, you kind of do a recap of let's review what imperative language is 
uh, versus declarative. So I feel like we're <laughs> far enough into the book that it's a good time to kind of bring that up again. And I just couldn't love this, of course, like the entire first page, <laughs> like everything that I yep. think is important, which is almost everything is highlighted. <laughs> so in the second paragraph, just as a review, in case this is your first time joining us at Chapter Chat, or if this is your first time joining us as we're discussing this book, this will be an excellent um, uh, uh, review. So imperative language uh, places demands on kids where they have to respond. They either have to respond verbally or they have to do something, right? And they can be right or they can be wrong. So it's fair to say, I think, that imperative language is a high-pressure situation. And in the beginning chapters of this book, Linda, you did such a beautiful job explaining that when you have kids who are already struggling with social communication and then we put high-pressure demands on them, they often go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? So that's what we're mm -hmm. dealing with. I instruct the child, I want you to do something. I command them to do something or I ask them a question that demands a response and some of our kids just literally shut down. So imperative language um, uh, consists of commands and questions with a right or wrong answer. Declarative language, on the other hand, are statements or comments that don't require any response from the child. And I think my favorite thing that I have learned from reading this book, and I think it was, I can't remember if it was chapter two or chapter three, where you talked about um, observing the environment. It's not about eye oh, yeah. contact. It's about visual make, referencing. Yes. about Yes. Thank you. Visual referencing. It's about making comments that encourage these kids to look up and take notice what is going on in the environment. And that happens so beautifully with declarative language, right? So I, I love that you kind of went through and did that um, kind of review for us. Yeah, and I was thinking, um, as you both were talking, and as we talk about the book, what I'm really enjoying is just the different lenses or applications that we bring to declarative language. Like, Mike, I think your brain always goes to visual imagery, executive function. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Carrie, you're always thinking about early childhood application. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and for me, even I think Declarative language, the most important part of it for me is it, is it changes the communicative landscape from negative to positive. And like, mm. I think with that positive, mm. you get the visual imagery, you get the executive function, you have all those ways that you can learn and grow. But, but that's what I always come back to is just um, like what you can do at home is use declarative statements. Like, yes, you'll support visual imagery, executive function, but the starting point is just changing your communication from negative to positive, from demanding to inviting, um, which over time just helps that child open up to learning, be okay feeling vulnerable, you know, so that they just are open to all the wonderful things that we want to teach them. So like, that's always where I come back. That's my foundation. And I love how you both that have expanded that to your particular mm -hmm. areas of expertise, because there's so many places where declarative language can take you once Absolutely. you make that initial shift. And that's, yeah, really, and, I, yeah. and that's really beautifully said because when you take communication and you go from negative to positive, as soon as you make that switch to positive, you've now laid the foundation for growth and skill building. So yes. this language can now allow this child to build some new neural pathways, use their neuroplasticity and gain these skills because that's where it comes from, the positive. The negative mm -hmm. is the anxiety, the dysregulation, the disinterest, the uh, all the, the lack of motivation, all those things. But as soon as you take a language and make it a positive thing that really puts kids in the driver's seat, that's when they can now learn and grow. And it's really taking casual conversation and making it a learning experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really, and whether it's early childhood, like you talked about, or older executive functioning, uh, declarative language does that negative to positive, but that really allows them to grow through something that's just, you know, done every day. Yeah. And even, um, like, even it's not just the language, it's the communication as a whole. So like declarative language brings that intention of giving information. Yeah, absolutely. So that kids are open to growing and learning. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the terms I just wrote down as you guys were talking is one of my favorite terms, which is relationship-based learning. Yep. And if you want children to engage with you so that you can 
um, expand their horizons and give them varied experiences and teach them new skills, we really want to focus on building that relationship. So, you know, focusing on connection over instruction. That is something that I must say 20 times a week. I want you, mm-hmm. to, and that's going to be my main message tomorrow as I'm talking to these early childhood educators is when the child is distressed, when they are exhibiting a challenging behavior, this is not a teachable moment, right? This is now a time to focus on connection over mm-hmm. instruction. And one way you can do that is stop quizzing them. What color is it? How many are there? What shape yep. is it? What does a dog yep. say? What does a cow say? Go sit down. Go bring me. Go line up. I mean, this is what happens so often. And the kid mm-hmm. just shuts down altogether. The behaviors, you know, exacerbate. And then this kid gets labeled as non-compliant or as naughty or as stubborn or as refusing. And so when we start pulling back on instruction and start focusing on connection by using declarative language instead of imperative language, um, what we then start to see is the child becomes a joyful learner. And one Mm -hmm. thing I have learned over the years is joyful learners are engaged learners. Mm -hmm. So you can't teach a child if he's not engaged with you. You can't teach him anything at all until we have established that joint attention. And that Mm -hmm. joint attention cannot be coerced with threats. You need to do this and then we'll play, right? You need to, so this is where all those commands and those demands come in. Mm -hmm. We need to stop focusing on that. And I just love that... uh, Again, I, I mean, I now post about declarative language like every other day. It's always in my strategies now. It's something I've always done but didn't have the actual, you know, amazing term to uh, be able to coach others on. So I just can't tell you. I know I say this every week, Linda, but I'm yeah. just so grateful for your book. I mean, you have just opened and, up and, and what did, And what did we learn from our first couple of books? What are the important skills? And, you know, what makes a child? how children succeed what's make, what helps a child to succeed what makes them most likely to succeed well we know if there's those... one non family member who connects with a child there that child i mean it only takes one person right who focuses on connection over instruction and can build a trusting engaging relationship it's amazing you know i mean the village doesn't have to be big but there needs to be a village and it can't just be a parent or a gar- you know a grandparent mm-hmm. we're talking about those those non family members you know being able to build a connection so and all of the skills that that are truly beneficial to a child aside from your typical you know geometry chemistry academic skills all of the skills that actually make people succeed resiliency mental flexibility self-regulation are all built through relationships relationships are built through you know interpersonal relationships and varied experiences. The yep. more experiences you have, the more relationships you have. The yep. more relationships you have, the more you're prepared for the world to come. So it's yeah. all, the, the, this whole world is relationship-based learning. Think about what we learned about Finland. What sets them apart from our, our education here was this you know, twice a week counseling to yeah. work on these skills and the ability to build the soft skills and build executive function skills. Right. That, was an, that was the ability to take a child out of the classroom, have them meet with an individual and talk about yourself, talk about your feelings, your emotions, your experiences, yep. your interpretations of events. And mm-hmm. it allows a child to, like, like Linda said beautifully before, allowing them to be vulnerable in yep. their learning. And inviting them. Inviting mm-hmm. them, and that's mm-hmm. what it's all about. And mm-hmm. you know, that's why this chapter, uh, part three, mechanics, chapter eight, is you know, if you can tell the parents to read one chapter in this book, it would be this one because mm-hmm. it's so cut and dry in terms of how to use declarative language, how to put the kids in the driver's seat, how to put yourself down to their level and show them that you make mistakes and you don't know yes. everything. Yes. Uh, I think that's you know, it, it really this is something that any family, any parent any background right. can, it can institute after reading this chapter. I got to tell you, and I know, Linda, you probably want to say something, and we're just like, Brrr. but on page 49, <laughs> That's I, can't what we do. Off, I can't even get off the first page because what I love so much is your very last sentence on the page because it explains why imperative language is oh, yeah. can cause so many problems. And I love that you give us the why. Questions place additional processing and formulation demands on kids, making it harder for them to respond. So if they're already struggling with social communication and we pepper them with questions, it takes, it's harder to process. It takes longer to process a response. So what do they often do? They just don't respond, right? Yeah. They just, they, yeah. they avoid the interaction. They go into fight, flight, or freeze. So I just, I mean, to me, just page 49, I just want to like, 
cut that page out and like frame it because 49 to me in a nutshell is just such a beautiful overview of the entire book. So I thank you for page 49, Linda. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the, the imperative, the imperative language really, you know, and questions increase that anxiety, increase yes. that dysregulation, mm -hmm. take the focus off of them being compliant, take the focus on them being compliant and takes the focuses off uh, relationships. Mm -hmm. And then the very next sentence on page 50, declarative statements smoothly guide them. Yes. How do you guide someone? You guide them when you hold their hand, when you're with them, when you're in a relationship with them. If you don't mm -hmm. care about someone, you're not going to guide them. You're going right. to give them a directive and, hey, go that way, turn that way and go over there. But if you're with yeah. someone, you're, you're going to go with them and make sure they get to where they need to be safely. And the other piece, too, I was going to say when you were talking a minute ago is um, – the kids need to know that we care when they when they can they can tell when someone cares like truly oh. and authentically cares and can embrace and accept and be present in that moment with that child and and it's that caring that we have of them that also um, increases their investment in us as teachers or educators oh. to them or guides. So that's again, a great I'm point. To, that's a great point to, to make. Like the heart, which is that's a great point to make. It, it, yeah. it doesn't matter their age. Doesn't matter their skill mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. They can be nonverbal. They can be severe autism. Kids know when someone cares. Yeah. Period. Well, what is that saying? They don't care what you know until they first know that you care. Some president said that. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know if there's anything more valuable, whether you're talking about communicating with a parent, you know, doing parent coaching or whether you're trying to build a relationship with a child. Nobody cares what you know. You know, if I'm trying yeah, to no. teach you mm -hmm. geometry nope. or trying to teach you history or trying to teach you how to tie your shoes, if I'm yelling at you and giving you demands and using a ton of imperative language, um, the child doesn't care what we know in that moment. It's irrelevant mm -hmm. what we know because they don't don't even know if we care so what we're trying to do is say you know let's back up the truck here let's focus on connection over instruction by using declarative language as much as possible and I have to say somewhere in either this chapter or chapter nine you actually say um, oh, I think it is chapter nine. When is it okay to use imperative language? So I can't mm -hmm. wait till yeah, we get yeah, to that yeah. because mm -hmm. I actually really appreciated that you did have um, some comments on mm -hmm. that. But let's talk about page 50 because I love how you actually give very specific wording, some examples of, of what kind of language we can use. Um, so questions that we often hear, what should you do now? What are you missing? What do you need? So um, it is inviting the child to notice, right? Which you say that's good because it's inviting them to notice, but they're questions, so it's too demanding. So I love how right in the middle of page 50, you say, here's what we're gonna do instead. We're gonna, I'm gonna show you how to change your imperative questions into declarative statements. So instead of what should you do, I'm wondering what you should do. Or I think now is a good time to, and I love that you added that, I think, instead of everything doesn't have to be, I wonder. Right? Yeah, there. and we had talked last week about mm -hmm. how to just change up your um, I wonder statements because uh, kids get sick of it when they hear it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we don't ever want declarative language to be a demand. Like that's so important that if you enter declarative language in a quizzing way or a way that kids perceive as placing a demand on them, then it's not doing what we want. We right. want to bring that intention of, giving information. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that one example, I wonder what you need, or I think you need your water bottle, like something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is even just a matter of scaffolding. So if you just say, I wonder what you need, you're inviting them to kind of figure it out a little bit more if you think that they could. But if they need a little bit more scaffolding, then you just guide. I think you need your water bottle before we leave. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just an easy way to vary it up is you're giving more specific information because they can benefit from that extra guidance in the moment. Like it's not about quizzing kids or setting up a situation where they get it right or wrong, because then that goes back to it might be a declarative statement. But if you deliver it in an imperative way, mm -hmm. then it's imperative. <laughs> so you right. always want to delivered in a way that supports the child to succeed like that's really important too and in, and in my so. brain like you said before i'm always bringing this back to executive functioning you know the, mm -hmm. the thing that always pops into my head is we we don't want these kids to always be prompt dependent so when we're using these uh, uh, imperative language, what should you do? What are you missing? What do you need? Not only are you not making them more productive and you're not you know, getting what you want from it, but you're also keeping that prompt dependency. They're oh. going to continually mm -hmm. need those prompts 
What do you need? Go get that. Go get this. Go get that. And, but when we use declarative language, we're teaching kids to think for themselves. Like, like we said before, pick your head up, look around, perceive your environment, and right. realize yourself what you should do. So take, the give you one, an... take, take the wondering that we're doing, right. because we have strong executive functioning, and make them start to wonder. And right. wonder, of course, is just a fancy word for mental play executive functioning. So mm-hmm. declarative language increases independence. Right. One of the things like, so my son who is autistic and when he's getting ready in the morning um, and he's got his backpack and maybe he's got his coat on and it's really cold here in, in Kansas city now, you know, it's like 13 degrees or whatever. Mm. And um, so this morning before he was, you know, as he's getting ready to get on the bus, um, you know, this is a great example of when I might have used to have said, don't forget your gloves or, you know, go get, maybe you need to wear your big coat today, you know, your heavy coat today because it's really cold. And instead, I just said, it's really cold outside today. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of left it at that. And he said, where is my big coat? And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) Like, I've never, you know what I mean? It was just so crazy because it immediately just caused his, because he hasn't worn it yet this year, because it's been really unseasonably warm here in Kansas City. So all I said was, it's really cold out this morning. And it was just the coolest thing to just watch it kind of unfold. And I was like, Gosh darn it! This declarative language works. It's like you see works. their uh, their light bulb go off. Over it their is head. because yep. he yeah. he stopped in his tracks, and you know I and my son I would say in general is pretty prompt dependent, and you know he's autistic, so his whole life people have been trying to teach him language mm-hmm. and teach him to respond appropriately to language, and so it's pretty neat to see uh, the declarative language work. But I will say, and I love that you talk about this in one of these chapters, Linda, that. It takes practice. It is not mm-hmm. something that like just automatically happens. So as a parent, as an SLP, and that's what I'm going to be sure I tell these teachers tomorrow is, you know, when you start thinking about it, um, it allows you to find moments during the day when you're like, you stop yourself and go right as you're ready to ask a question or give a command. You're like, wait, mm-hmm. wait, this is a teachable moment, right? Mm-hmm. And I love teachable moments. So it's not like you say, oh, I'm going to set aside 15 minutes and use declarative language. No, we're talking about embedding this into your already existing daily routines. But Mm -hmm. as the adult, it is remembering to do it and capitalizing on those teachable moments when they actually occur. Yeah, and I was going to add when you were talking about your son, um, like a a nice word for that light bulb is an aha moment. So when you use declarative language. There it is, I highlighted it, aha you start to see kids have aha moments and it's just so um, validating for what you are doing and, and you know, you're empowering them to, to be problem solvers rather than just direction followers. So good. So good. So So if you have a pet, I love how you say the dog looks hungry or we have two little Shih Tzu puppies. So I might say, Oh, um, you know, Gabby, who's one of our dogs, Gabby is, is standing by the back door and Aaron will be like, Oh, I think she needs to go potty. And he lets her out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like I didn't have to tell him to let the dog out. I just invited him to observe Mm -hmm. in the moment. So if you, again, parents are always messaging Mike and I, how can I, I want to use this at home. Mm -hmm. What do I do? I don't have the book. What can I do? I mean, the, the, the opportunities are endless and make sure Mike, I think you and I, Maybe, maybe we can, and I know Linda shared this actually, maybe it was last week or the week before. Um, but I love on page 52 that you give us actual words to use other than I wonder. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to read them. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I wonder, I remember when, I forget, I know, I imagine, I decided, I wish, you know, so I like that you have those, those examples in there. Um, uh, yeah, so that was helpful, I thought, just to give us some other words other than constantly saying. Because like you said, Linda, if all we say all, all day long is, I wonder, I wonder, kids are going to get tired of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me see here. So starting on page 50, you give us one, two, three, four, five, six. So this is the rest of the chapter. You give us um, six example or six kind of strategies of when we can and how we can use declarative language. Is that right, Linda? Mm-hmm. So the first one is make simple comments that observe and invite the child to observe too. So the dog looks hungry or those flowers are pretty. So that's where you're modeling communication for joint attention. That's where you're inviting the child to notice and pausing. I love how you talk about after you make a declarative statement, you've got to pause and give the child time to kind of process and have that aha moment. Mm-hmm. And I think those first ones that you read are great 
even just beginning ones, because it's just about commenting, mm -hmm. not asking a question, but just commenting. And it doesn't have to have all those. Uh, I know you'll get to it shortly, but mm -hmm. it doesn't have to have the cognitive verbs or the thinking right. verbs. It just has to be a comment. Right, um, right. It could just be something like, hey, look, a car or wow, a bird. Mm -hmm. um, my shoe, you know, anything like that, as long as, again, the intention is there that it's a comment, you're sharing information mm -hmm. versus placing that demand to get an answer or get something specific. Absolutely. And this is, and this is teaching students to not just really think for themselves. Like we talked before, like remember you had the, uh, the essential oil opinion grid mm -hmm. and all of that. So it's really just like the flowers are pretty. We're teaching them to be able to observe their environment, perceive their environment, which, of course, is core executive functioning and comment on it, which, you know, and, and I'm so glad you use the phrase uh, social learning challenges in this book, because this is something I talk about a lot in my presentations and my trainings is, you know, us as speech pathologists, we're ingrained into this whole idea of social pragmatic language, social pragmatic language. But you really think about it, you know, at its core, is it really language is so our social skills really language is it, it just is it like expressive receptive and, and and then the next is just social it's really executive functioning it is it's not really true language it's mm. social executive functioning it's social learning challenges it's kids who don't learn language and you describe it in here it's kids who don't learn social skills intuitively through more of osmosis or just getting older and observing others and being in that environment, they need more explicit instruction mm -hmm. and other ways to perceive what's happening in their environment and take it in and have it change their behavior. You know, kids we see with what we call social pragmatic language disorder or social skills problems, you know, they're just, you know, a, a few years delayed or many years delayed, their typical age peers. And that's really that executive functioning delay where they're not perceiving social in the social environment around them and learning new skills so you know it's really and that's something i'm really passionate about is it's not really social pragmatic language it's really social learning and you know with the use of declarative language <coughs> really allows you as an adult as someone with the ability to learn social skills and be a part of a social connection and have social uh, social relationships, being able to take our information, the thoughts we're having in our heads about others, perspective taking, you use the term perspective taking all the time. Kids who struggle with flexible thinking or perspective taking don't know this intuitively. Our thoughtful language modeling in this regard will show them how it's done and help them to better understand the actions and intentions of others. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the, and, and we're putting all these kids into mm -hmm. social skills groups and expecting them to learn intuitively by being in a social skills group when it's really their inability to perceive their environment, observe others, look up, you know, so, so much of declarative language is looking up, looking up and observing the environment and learning the new <laughs> social skills. Yeah. And even I was going to add, um, like, I don't even necessarily like to think about social skills because that's something in isolation, mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. social communication is so dynamic and so integrated um, that, again, like I always just go back to the relationship. And even when we're commenting, when we're going for a walk together, what we're doing is helping that child form a social memory of our shared experience, modeling joint attention. You know, we want kids to... Um, be able to communicate for joint attention, um, but we really just have to truly authentically model it, not make them communicate for joint attention, kind of like what you said, Carrie, before too. Um, it's all about being that great role model in the moment around how it's done. And then Mike, like you're saying, while also letting them know our thoughts and our internal language and all that. So you said, so <laughs> to, just to quote you, you said a social memory of our shared experience. Mm -hmm. Is that what you said? That, that's, yeah, that, I think that, so. <laughs> That's a that's a that's an amazing quote. That's such it a is. great a a social memory of our shared experience. In it a is. previous chapter, we talked about episodic memory and how mm -hmm. crucial that is to social learning and executive functioning and independence and development. But a social memory of our shared experience that is huge. So yeah. that's real. That's you know that's think about it. Do we want our kids to go to school and just get good grades and just get academics? No, we want them to have social memories. All adults look back on their 
their uh, high school, middle school, elementary experience, and they don't think about an A they got or a project they did or this and that. They think about the shared experiences mm -hmm. of their social experiences. And we want our kids, we don't want them to just get up in the morning, sit in class, you know, do their best here and try hard there and get distracted here and then go home. It's all about shared experiences because that's what builds memory and that's what builds independence. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's that declarative <laughs> language in the moment that marks it for both of us as meaningful. You know, if, if I'm thinking about this and you're thinking about that and neither of us say it out loud, then we don't, we don't know. We're probably we forming it. memories yeah. about different things. Yeah. Um, but yeah. once one of us marks it, with a comment, it's there for tomorrow to reflect back on. Yeah, I think we should all have beautiful. a. I think we should all have a, a post tomorrow. A social memory of our. I love it. Experience. Uh -huh. That's a, that's I love a quote it. right there. Yeah, it really is. It's amazing. So the second strategy you gave then is use cognitive verbs, and I love this. I've never heard yep, of this yep. term before. Use cognitive verbs or verbs that model our thinking, and I love this because what you said we're doing then is we're showing kids that people think before they act. I mean, how brilliant <laughs> is this? Instead of being impulsive, <laughs> instead of just acting, what Linda is saying is, no, 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 we're going to use cognitive verbs. We're going to talk out loud about what we're thinking before we actually do it. So examples of cognitive verbs. Think, wonder, remember, forget, know, imagine. Did I already read these? I did, didn't I? Those were no, the cognitive you showed verbs. Them. You showed I showed them. them. Okay. Yeah. And wish. So anytime you hear yourself ask a question, turn it into a declarative by taking out the question word, what, where, when, why, who, and replacing it with one of those cognitive verbs, right? So I, um, let me see if I can find one of your examples here that where you didn't use, I wonder, let me see here. Um, well, I can tell the story that I tell in yeah. that chapter about Please um, do. the student I worked with. So he, he was a concrete thinker, oh, yes. you know, black and white, named Michael. <laughs> yep. um, I have permission to use his name. He was, he's such a good little kid. Um, but he went, he didn't like when it rained. So he went, anytime he came to school and it was raining, he would use black and white language just saying, it's not raining, it's not raining. Um, and at the time, his teachers were trying to figure out just how to change his language to say, it is raining. Oh. So they would really focus on the black and white, the right and wrong and changing his language. Um, but, you know, he was a smart kid. He knew it was raining. So I was, as I was trying to figure this out, I thought, you know, I think he just doesn't yet have the language maybe to express what it is that he's communicating, which is, I wish it wasn't raining. Uh -huh. So I modeled that language for him and just said, you know, Michael, I wonder if you mean, I wish it wasn't raining. And right away he said, yes, I wish it wasn't raining. Um, and so then what, what happened there is we moved away from arguing about whether it was raining to validating his feelings. Like, yeah, I know it stinks when it rains because you can't do the things outside that you love to do. And then also problem solving. Like, well, let's think about something that could be okay or okay enough for you to, to do when it rains. I know it's not the swings, but maybe there's something that's good enough. So it allowed us to, you know, hear him, validate his feelings, yep. connect with him, as you said, Carrie, um, and then get to that flexible thinking and alternative thinking, which I know Mike loves yep. Yep. <laughs> um, to problem solve in the moment. Like you can't do this, but we do have other options, but he right. didn't know what they were. And how beautiful um, that you validated his feelings. To me, that yeah. was the best part of that story. Yeah. And he just didn't have the word. He just didn't ha yet have that cognitive verb, verb or that nuance to talk about. He only had his black and white concrete way of communicating when he didn't like something. And it kind of took our modeling to, just teaching that vocabulary. Yeah. And, and my, my favorite part of the story was mm -hmm. a kid who likes to play outside. Yes. My good, my yeah. goodness. My kind yeah. of dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the last paragraph of that example. You said the declarative statement created a space. And I love how you use that word space. We make space for kids, right? Created a space for Michael to express his feelings and then guided him toward problem solving. This conversation was richer, more dynamic, and more meaningful than the previous debate about what the sky was doing. I literally mm -hmm. laughed out loud when I read that <laughs> paragraph. Like, because isn't this so true where we get in mm -hmm. arguments with kids about whether mm -hmm. it's raining or not, or whether it's snowing or not, or whatever it is, when that's not what they're 
trying to express, right? They, they're, right. they're, they're, they're missing those cognitive verbs. So I absolutely love the term cognitive verbs. Mike, I think we need to really, as SLPs, think about those verbs, you know, for building higher level language abilities in, in students. Um, I just thought that was really powerful. Yeah. And these are, these are all words that describe really internal language. You know, yep. you're, you're, you're thinking, you're wondering, you're remembering, you're forgetting, you're knowing, imagining, deciding, wishing. Yep. It's all mm -hmm. synonyms for mental play. All that, you know, yep. the, Very the cool. young, the external play to the mental play. And, and you Very know, the, the, if there's one way to describe declarative language, it's guiding our students with relationships. Mm -hmm. We're using we're using our relationships and we're guiding them. And we're yeah. taking what we're doing and we're modeling it for them. I just had another fun example that just happened um, a couple of weeks ago. As you listed the, the verbs, it reminded me. So this, um, this one student that I work with, his parents have been working a lot on using declarative language in the home. And we were talking about the holidays coming up. And I said, oh, you know, what is it that you want? And he said, well, I'm hoping for a PS5, mm. but it's my parents' decision. I hope that they decide <laughs> that I can get it or something like this. But it was all these cognitive verbs oh. that he was using to talk about you know, his hopes, but also his parents' mental process. And that is so I had to, you know, email his mom after That's and tell so her. I'm like, whoa, That's the amazing. cognitive verbs are really coming through. And That's he's, so he's also like talking about decision making of himself, but also of you and the other people in his life, which is awareness of perspective taking and all that. So it was just really cool. You know, and as I think about my son right now, who is 17, he's autistic. Um, I'm honestly... I'm not sure I've ever heard him use a cognitive verb. I'm going to have to really think about this. Wow. Because yeah. he will say things like, well, he'll say, I don't know. I don't know. But he'll never say something like, I forgot. Or, you know, I don't think I've ever heard him. I'm going to have to really look at this list now. Because I think that's why he sometimes struggles communicating his point. Because I'm not sure he has cognitive verbs. So, gosh, Linda, yeah. I mean... But all you have to do is start modeling them and they'll yeah, come. Exactly. They will totally oh, exactly. Come. Mm -hmm. It's so exciting for me as an SLP and yeah. as a mom to know that there are simple strategies um, yep. that are available that don't require you to go get certified in some special yep. class or, yep. you know what I mean? Like this is mm -hmm. a strategy that we can coach all of our families on, all of our teachers yep. on. Okay, so the third strategy, use words that emphasize uncertainty and possibility. Man, do I love this, because this is how we focus on uh, flexible thinking, right? On mental flexibility, on thinking about things in different ways. So as you start to use these types of words, you're gonna create opportunities for the child to become comfortable with uncertainty mm -hmm. and our really rigid thinkers are kids who we tend to describe as being inflexible in their thinking. They're going to really benefit from this. So once again, I circled some of the words that you recommend using on page 54. So some of these types of words and phrases, maybe, might, possibly, perhaps, sometimes, I'm sure, or I'm not sure, and I don't know. So we might go to the store later, or maybe we should check the weather, or it might be rainy tomorrow. I love this so very much because my son is a black and white thinker and he wants to know, is it gonna rain tomorrow? I'll say, I, you know, there's a 70% chance. <laughs> so it might rain tomorrow, but it also might not rain tomorrow. And that has been so hard for him to be able to deal with uncertainties. But yet I will tell you, I think this is what is so critical because in life, nothing is for certain, nothing That's at right. all, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you think you're going to school tomorrow. My son thought he was going to school tomorrow and he came home and I had to tell him, you're not going to school for five days because you've been exposed to COVID. Act I mean, he was in a room for several hours with someone who has COVID. So even though he's vaccinated, um, he can't go to school for five days. So he thought, he, you know what I mean? So this is that uncertainty that you have to be able to deal with this now in life, that just because you think something is gonna happen, guess what? Right. It may not be that way. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate. Um, and I love your statement, Linda, moving away from one specific idea and moving towards possibility mm -hmm. like that is beautiful. <laughs> and even and, and even combining point number three and point number four is, you know, this is where my uh, my SLP bias comes in is there's there's few people that do this as well as speech pathologists, like, you know, uh, exposing your own uncertainty or capitalizing on your own lack of knowledge 
and allowing the kid to feel that leadership position. Like uh, there, there's, there's few better strategies when you're working with a young, early intervention, early childhood age is like, oh, you see a picture of a dog, like, hmm, I think that's a dinosaur there. And the kid feels so good correcting you. <laughs> no, that's a dog, that's a dog. And they just love it. It's one of the best ways to build rapport and make them feel comfortable and have them use language, those sorts of things. So it's, it's so huge for adults to model our own failures, really, mm -hmm. and to, for, to make kids be comfortable knowing that they don't have to know everything. And it takes time and we have to pause, even adults have to pause and stop and think, and we still get things wrong and we still make mistakes. Like you had a great example earlier about, oh, <laughs> I should have, uh, when you're doing, when you're driving, Oh, I should have taken the highway. Now we're stuck in traffic. It's okay. We'll still get there. Those sorts of things. And, and that is so huge for kids to model your in, internally yourself regulating. You're not freaking out and honking and, have, and having road rage, <laughs> but you're using your language to show your child that, hey, it's okay. I made a mistake. Mom and dad, mom makes mistakes sometimes. We're going to get through it. Yeah. Um, I was going to say even with the, the words uh, to communicate uncertainty, like you can even start to use them in, in just low stake context. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be yeah. when the child is asking for something specific. It can just be that inner voice out loud. Um, you know, like I said, in low risk contexts that that are safe. Um, yeah. And another one that I just love to do is, yeah, when kids ask me a question and I can just say, like, huh you know, that's a great question. I'm not sure about that. And even just pause there because then you're just hanging out in that uncertain moment and just yep. showing them, you know, we don't always move quickly through uncertainty either. It's something that we just have to become comfortable being in or being in that uncertain state. Um, and, you know, nobody likes it. You don't want to stay there sure. forever, but it's just something that I think we get better at and stronger at the more that we hang out in that space. Well, and I love so. your, your last sentence under that fourth strategy. And the strategy is use words that communicate your own uncertainty. And I love how you say by doing this, by thoughtful modeling, you can create a place for them where it is safe to not know something. Because mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you, in our world, we don't create very many safe places for kids to not know. Think about what school is. You know, you're constantly yeah. being quizzed. What do you know? Regurgitate what you've memorized um, that you need to know, no, no. You got to be smart. That's what our society expects. You got to be smart. You got to know stuff. And so I couldn't love this more that when we model our mistakes or model our uncertainty or model that we just simply don't know. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it really opens up that safe space. And I just, gosh, I think with, you know, the mental health issues and I just think it's, it's important that we create safe spaces for kids to be vulnerable and mm -hmm. declarative language allows that. Yeah. And I was thinking, I know I mentioned this last week, but it's also part of us just being comfortable letting go. Like we don't have to know everything. Everything. And it's, <clears throat> And, you know, maybe we put that pressure on ourselves at times to know everything. So mm -hmm. we also have permission to let go and not know things. That's and absolutely it right. it just opens yeah. everything up. One of yeah. my favorite examples you give in this entire book is right on page 54. Perhaps there is another way to do this. Oh. So that's, that's huge. That's, that's planning, prioritizing, problem solving. That's yeah. a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. That's, you know, that, that uses episodic memory. How did we do it in the past? And future thinking, how can we do it differently? Mm -hmm. uh, so so, so that's, that is so powerful is, you know, I, I, I'm wondering if there's another way to do this. I'm thinking if there's another way to do this. Uh, you know, possibly there might be another way right. to do this. So uh, if you're listening, shoot. what I want you guys to do is to challenge yourself to use some of these yeah. uh, uh, uncertain phrases and words sometime this week. So words like maybe, might, possibly, perhaps, sometimes, I'm sure, I'm not sure, and I don't know, right? So I, I'm challenging you, Mike, you as well, right? We're going to practice this, <laughs> and we're going to try to really use some of those uncertainty words so that kids can... Uh, really recognize that every human being, even adults, don't know everything, right? That it's okay to not know in the moment. But what I love so much about not knowing is it provides an opportunity for problem solving. And that mm -hmm. leads to independence. And the ultimate goal for everything that we do should be leading children to independence. So problem yep. solving is essential for independence. All yeah, right. So the I would say, too, oh, yeah, I was going to say, um, like, and even when you're starting out with those, like, 
over time, the kids definitely will start to use them. But our goal initially is not for them to use the words. It's, it's just, just for them it. to be comfortable and for uh -huh. them to be comfortable around it. But yeah. Very good. Very yep. good. So the fifth strategy then is use words related to your feelings or senses and words that help kids observe their environment. So you explain that we want to guide the child to observe using more than their eyes. And this is just so powerful, right? So saying things like, I notice it's getting cloudy, or I see that the teacher is ready for us to start, or your mom looks upset, or I think I smell pizza, or there's a smell coming from the cafeteria. I wonder what's for lunch. I heard something. Um, I can hear him laughing. I think he's happy about that. I heard your friend say something. And then you talk about how that last example, I heard your friend say something, is so important because it invites kids to notice a communication breakdown and how... Mm -hmm important is that talk to us about that linda that that noticing a uh, communication break yeah i think this is yeah one of the most important communication skills um kids figure figure out or kids notice breakdowns in communication and learn how to repair in the first year of life it's such wow. a dynamic communicative skill but <laughs> so important for everything that follows um and i think for a lot of our social learners it's they, you know, repair is certainly something that they need to practice or feel more confident doing and getting better at. But first, you just want to help them take a step back and notice that a breakdown has occurred. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they don't even notice that someone didn't hear them or they didn't hear the other person. Um, so instead of jumping in and saying, repeating it or fixing the breakdown you just want to use a comment to help the child notice that it happened so oh you know i might say a lot of times um you know i heard so and so say something but i don't think you did oh <laughs> so i'm not i'm not um fixing it i'm just commenting on an observation that i had that i noticed the child didn't and then Nine times out of the 10, the child then will say, oh, what did you say? Uh, and they independently or spontaneously then repair. But we really want to help them just notice the breakdown. That's where it needs to start. That's situational awareness, right, Mike? Situational awareness, you got <laughs> Beautiful. it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Because in contrast, and I love how you give this contrast, an imperative would be saying, what did your friend say? Or mm -hmm. ask your friend what he said. So that, again, is going to create that prompt dependency. It's putting demands on the child that you have to respond right now in this moment. So that's the difference between a declarative, I, I, your, I, heard, your, I think your friend you know, said something, as opposed to, what did your friend say? And putting mm -hmm. him on the spot where you want them to repeat it. Uh, and so it's, again, I love how you use the terms. It's helping kids to observe, helping them to notice. Um, and then, again, and I have two arrows next to this because I thought it was so important. Um, on page 56, you say, um, but as a first response, comment and then wait quietly for the child to notice, think, and act on their own. So there's like this mm -hmm. three-part little paradigm, right? After we make a declarative statement, we are going to be quiet. We are going to pause yes. in the moment. I don't care how awkward the silence is. You've got to pause in the moment. And here's why. And I love that Linda tells us mm -hmm. why. Because you've got to give time for the child to notice, think, and act or respond, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just... There's power in the pause. There's power in <laughs> yeah. the pause. We're, all, we're always talking about how, power can in the pause. how can we measure executive function skills? How, we, how can we measure independence? Over time, you're going to expect that pause <clears throat> to decrease. And eventually, you're, you don't even need to give the declarative language at all because mm -hmm. the kid is getting their coat, getting, you know, uh, uh -huh. cleaning, the, cleaning their room, uh, observing communication breakdowns. They're doing these things independently. The whole point of using declarative language is because we have these fully developed adult brains and we're <coughs> noticing things that kids aren't noticing. So we, we use this to take our adult thoughts and have them think it uh, and really allow them to be more independent in their day to day. So using this is such a springboard to independence, which is exactly what we want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Modeling effective language. I mean, modeling, mm -hmm. modeling the adult skills, that we use to be successful, but not doing it in a pressured manner, right? Modeling it in a pressure-free 
inviting environment. I mean, it's just, there's so much beauty in this. I just, <clears throat> I'm, I'm every week I'm just in awe of it. All right. And I so was going to add one little oh, yeah, go ahead, Linda. bit to um, communication breakdowns. I think sometimes I notice, I, th I think parents, you know, that you just get anxious and you jump in too quickly to fix that breakdown. Mm -hmm. So part of it is just encouraging parents to, to, be okay, I would even say with their child experience a break, experiencing a breakdown. Like I've seen parents where they're worried that somebody won't understand their child. Um, oh. You know, maybe because they're saying something in a different way or they're not saying it loud enough. Um, and my coaching in those moments are, you know what, it's okay, let them experience the breakdown because, because then they can notice it, which is really important. And then that child and that communication partner can work together on the repair. It doesn't have to be mm. you that does that. Well, it can be the other. It can be those two people in that individual, in that relationship, in that interaction. Well, think and about this. And that becomes like, a shared yeah. social experience. It does. Yeah, yeah. Think yep. about our kids with speech sound disorder. You know, if they have phonological <laughs> impairment and we use minimal pairs. And so you've got a key and you've got a cup of tea and the child says, you know, I want the tea. And you hand them, you know, a, a cup of tea. And they're like, no, the tea. And you're like, oh, this is the tea. And they're like, wait a minute, what am I? Like, you, you know, you're not telling them you're saying it wrong. You're just mm -hmm. in that moment. Kind. Of, I, I just, I love that. Allowing them to have that breakdown so they can have an aha moment of, oh my gosh, I'm saying tea, but I really mm -hmm. want the key right? right so it's right yeah. oh. and I think for parents it's helping them not be afraid for their child to experience a breakdown like as long as it's a safe context right with a supportive communication partner it's going to be okay and they're going to develop those dynamic skills of repair um so that's where I see it comes in with parents or even maybe sure. therapists who get anxious if, if yeah. the child's not understood right away and so, it's helping the kids yeah. to see that it's normal because adults have communication breakdowns all the time. All the time. It, it, it happens. And for right. parents who sort of micromanage their kids, and there's a lot of that helicopter parenting going on right now, of course. Uh, you know, seeing kids, oh, oh, but I overheard him with his friend and there was a breakdown and he didn't pick it up or he didn't repair it correctly. You know, that's, that's a learning experience and it's also normal. And it's mm -hmm. even more normal for a kid to have that happen, you know, than, than it is for, for an adult. But it mm -hmm. happens to adults every single day. Oh, right. sure. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the sixth and final strategy <laughs> in this chapter is use, ah, this is good. Use inviting first person pronouns to help kids engage and join you. And I love this. It's that instead of telling kids what to do using imperative language, emphasize a partnership, right? And so you could use plural pronouns such as let's, right? So let's get ready to go outside or we could watch a movie or this project will be interesting for us to do. So those kind oh, of plural yeah. pronouns, let the child know you don't have to do this all by yourself, right? This is going to be a partnership. So that's just an amazingly, so let me give you an example. I, I should, Ooh, it's right here. I'm going to grab it. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> She's got everything in that room. That's a good one. This always happens. We always say we're going to do two chapters, and here we are on the, on the first chapter. Nobody can deep dive deeper into a chapter than us. Who knew we I got, would? We have like talk a three page this. a three page chapter here going on for uh, an hour. I know it's insane. I know. So my son thought <laughs> like this is a gift for Christmas, and it's a zodiac wall clock. And I don't know if you can tell, wow. but it's like very very you know, in, in depth. And there's a million little pieces. He loves to put things together though. And so when he got this, he said, that looks too hard. And my husband immediately said, we'll do it together. You know? So it was this mm -hmm. idea of immediately my son was like, you know, and as he's opening it, you know, so the person who gave it to him is sitting right there. And my son's reaction is that's too hard. I, I'm not going to be able to do that. It's too hard. But so immediately my husband started using those inviting kind of plural pronouns of we'll do it together. You know, we'll figure it out together. And mm -hmm. my son's anxiety immediately subsided. So then and you're you going to like uh, co-regulation get, that's what we really get into in co-regulation oh. is creating partnerships. And so the kids always book. feel successful. Yeah. Yep. Can't but wait. this is the beginning of it. This is the I love peak. it. I love it. <laughs> so great. you said then you can use first person singular pronouns such as I, my, mine, and me so that you can thoughtfully model an idea without putting any pressure on the child whatsoever. So I'm going to put my shoes on now or my idea is to play Scrabble or I can't wait to go see grandpa or um, here's my pencil. I'm going to use it to write my name. So I love that you give very specific uh, examples and then 
end the chapter by saying, look, it's not easy to switch to declarative language, but with practice, it becomes more automatic. Mm-hmm. And you describe it great uh, underneath is, you know, pick one daily routine <clears throat> with your child, like bedtime and slow yep. down and concentrate on the language you use without worry. Take it slow. You know, we always talk about how kids are in this inst- in this world of instant gratification and looking for instant results and instant success. And sometimes us as parents fall into that. You know, and, and we look we look at our kids, you know, every important skill they have is not overnight. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm right. an almost 11 month old who still doesn't <clears throat> sleep through the night. And, you know, learning to learning to walk takes time and crawl mm-hmm. takes time and rolling mm-hmm. over takes time and everything takes time. So, you know, the first time you use declarative language, like the great example Carrie gave earlier, you know, sometimes you're going to see some success, like with the winter coat and that kind of stuff. But it, really using it and embedding it into your life is going, you know, take it one routine at a time, mm-hmm. slow down and yep. be very mindful. And, and, you know, there's some parents that say, oh, I feel I feel a little <clears throat> corny always talking about my thoughts, always talking about what's happening in my head. And don't don't think about it in terms of. Uh, you know, the language you're using, you're basically just externalizing your thoughts. You're modeling your thoughts. You're making right. the, the internal external. And because that's otherwise exactly... nobody knows your thoughts. Exactly. The only way to let anyone exactly. know what you're thinking is to describe what you're thinking, right? There you go. Yeah. And I always say, you know, just one exchange at a time, even if one routine at a time feels too big or too hard mm-hmm. that you, you feel like you can't sustain it. Mm-hmm. Just one exchange at a time, just mindful right. in that moment. Um, I just came across this book called Atomic Habits by James oh, Clear. Yeah. Have you heard about that? I have it right here. Um, and I was like, oh, this yeah. fits really well with, you know, what we're talking about in terms of just take your time and um, there it is. There it is. Uh, just, you know, little moments build up over time. So yep. well, they do. You, habits. Yeah. Yeah, habits yep. don't just happen overnight, right? Habits right. are practiced over and over until they become automatic, until they yeah. become habitual. Yeah, yeah. In thinking about my word of the year, um, because I picked the word momentum, and I posted on it today, but I really thought about picking the word habit. And only because wow. if you want to, mm. you know, I, something has to become a habit before, like, you know, so if you want to, you know, get in better shape. You can't exercise once a week. It has to become a habit where you do it, right? So whatever it is that you want, whatever your goal is, whatever you're striving for, it has to become habitual or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it becomes a phase. And that's why I no longer do New Year's resolutions because I find that New Year's resolutions that you follow them for about a month and then because they don't become habits. So I I really like that word habit as a possible Mm -hmm. word of the year because I, I really like just picking one word and really focusing on how that can uh, apply to your whole life. Okay, Linda, let me ask you a question. Can we? Can you just summarize chapter nine for us? Because it's only yes. three pages long <laughs> and the chapter is called, Is It Ever Okay to Be Imperative? Oh, so that... please tell us when it is okay to use imperative language. You okay? know what? I misunderstood. I thought you were saying, can you summarize the chapter we just talked about? Because what, um, you know, using my episodic memory from last week, uh-huh. we're going into each chapter, you're like, what do you want us to know about this? So I thought ahead about it for chapter Good. eight. Good, tell us, tell us. And so there's like three takeaways that okay. that I want everyone to take away from, from chapter, chapter eight, eight, which we just talked about. So okay. these are little, um, Ooh, just it. little bite-sized pieces of information. Takeaways, guys, <laughs> write them down. Okay. okay, and I think we've touched on all of them, but these are the things that are important to me Great. right now. Um, just start to notice questions that you ask and change them mm. into comments one at a time. Start small. It's okay if you make a mistake. If you hear yourself ask a question, um, just pause and rephrase it as a comment. No big yep. deal. So questions over comments. That's okay. number one. Number two, actually, we didn't talk about this too much um, But I think sometimes people think that they can't use declarative language because it's too complex for their learner. You know, I think that's why a lot of our concrete learners don't get exposed to declarative language because people think they can't access it, which is not true. You know, they can. So it's not about your style of speaking. It's about your complexity. So, so if you have an early language learner or a concrete language learner, just don't get too long in your utterance um, or too abstract or don't use those cognitive verbs yet. Just 
Just like that, like that example of that flower looks pretty. That those sorts of mm -hmm. things. Uh -huh. Yeah. Very, okay. very basic. Yeah. Of, you know, little right. things you notice about perceiving your environment. Just right. like in terms of social skills, you know, yeah. you're not going to work on social skills unless there's joint attention. You're not mm -hmm. going to be able to get into complex declarative language right. until the child is first attending to the environment and perceiving. So instead right. of using declarative language to accomplish a goal, just start at the very basic level about commenting on your environment. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So it's about the complexity, not okay. about the style of speaking. Um, and then, and then I know I touched on this last week too, but it's about, it's your intention. So again, like some people have told me in the past, like, oh, my, my student would never understand declarative. I can't use that style of speaking with them because they wouldn't understand that. And I've told people, I really, you know, um, want you to challenge that assumption because it's just not true. It's about, it's about um, your, your intention. And a lot of our concrete learners too are Gestalt language learners. Right. So do you really have to say stand up or could you even just say something like, hey, let's walk to the door. Mm -hmm. You're modeling a comment, it's inviting, it's social in nature. And of course they're gonna learn it because it's in that meaningful context. It's in context, um, yes. Yeah, so. So I think those were my three takeaways. It's excellent. <laughs> Comment, not question. Uh, think about your complexity, not style. Um, and don't assume that a learner won't respond to declare well, because it's just not true. <laughs> that I would throw in there is we should yeah. be presuming competence anyways. And yeah. I've done several posts and I have handouts on presuming competence. So to say I can't use declarative language because the child won't understand it, that is presuming incompetence. And right. I would strongly encourage everyone to not presume incompetence. We want to right. uh, presume competence and use language that is at the appropriate complexity, like you said, Linda, mm -hmm. right, in your number two. Um, but don't ever... Uh, you know, not use this because you think the child won't understand it. So thank right. you for that summary. That is beautiful. And, and I, I would also say with all the great tips that Linda just gave on page 88 of this book is a progress tracking sheet that parents that are kind of Ooh, looking, look that are that. kind of looking for that instant fix and are kind of look, you know, starting with that complexity and having trouble, you Ooh, know, figuring things out, you know, take it piece by piece, you know, start with feeling patient helping them visual reference mm -hmm. and then going Ooh, all the way good. down to trying to, I felt confident guiding my child to try something new. So you're really going from the most basic to feeling yeah. patient to them doing a brand new varied experience. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, we're not going to get to chapter nine. So next week we are going to do, who knows? We may only do chapter nine because we no. can, like Mike said, talk for an hour about three That's pages right. of a book. So we're going to plan on chapters nine. I'm wondering nine. what chapters we'll do next week. <laughs> we'll do chapters nine and 10 here, even though we may not get to chapter 10, but we might. I really think we will because I feel like, Linda, are you able to join us next week? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Yes, as long as you'll have me. Absolutely. So I think you're going to be able to summarize chapter nine for us pretty quickly because it's called mm -hmm. is it ever okay to be imperative and you oh, yeah. actually give a really like nice explanation of when it is acceptable and so I feel like you'll be able to summarize that very quickly for us and so let's plan then mm -hmm. on spending most of the time on chapter 10 which is called the importance of pacing so I have not mm -hmm. yet read it so I am super <laughs> excited to do so so we will be back here next Monday uh, I don't even know what the date is maybe the 10th does that sound right um, at 8 p.m. Eastern and and it will be the three yep. of us. And I am super excited. So thank you, Linda. We thank just, you. Oh, we're so blessed to have you on here. <laughs> this is, is just great. Phenomenal. Yeah. I was getting messages. Like I can see like on my Instagram getting messages. I'm getting messages from parents while we talk. <laughs> like, 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 hey, Mike, I tried this with my kids. What do I do next? <laughs> this kind of stuff. So it's so great. You know, the, the first couple of books we did were so big picture and so huge. Right. And now really, you know, this is chapter chat is a grassroots movement and using mm -hmm. this you know, you doing something like this and, you know, something that everybody can use, no matter what their background or what they're trying to accomplish. You know, this is something that can really, really benefit families. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. So thank you. We um, will spend a couple more weeks um, on this book. And then we are actually going to go ahead and do Linda's other book called Co-Regulation Handbook. So if you're following along and purchasing the books as we go, this will be our next book. Um, so anyways, hope we will see you guys next week. This is available uh, as a podcast uh, on, tell us, Mike, about the podcast. 
So Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you just type in Education Chapter Chat. You'll see both of our pictures there. Uh, and you can listen to every single episode. They're also saved on Carrie's Instagram page. Uh, but if you want to listen, you know, while, while you're at the gym or in the car, right, right. Uh, you can just download them right away and you listen to the whole audio and you can listen to it, Absolutely. you know, right after, right after you read the chapters. Uh, the podcast has been a big hit and it's, and it's so great to see all the, all the, the weekly downloads. And I have to say, I'm so glad that you put it out a pod as a podcast because I love listening when I'm driving places. Nice. So I've been able to go back to your previous ones, oh, good. Um, which I will like keep doing until I'm all caught up. So thank you for yeah. making them a podcast so that it's accessible. That was all Mike. Mike that on was the a road. brilliant idea. So it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And I just have to end with a comment. Somebody mentioned in the in the comments about my necklace, and I just have to tell you, this is what my husband got me for Christmas. Oh, and this wow. is the in the infinity symbol, which represents autism acceptance and so I post a lot uh, about the infinity symbol and so I got that as a Christmas gift and so somebody said that they they loved the necklace so I just had to uh, throw that out mm -hmm. there so that is something that I am uh, very passionate about is autism acceptance don't try to change my son just try mm -hmm. to accept him and love him for who he is um, so anyways thank you again Linda we will see you next Monday Mike as always that's right it's a blast we're gonna keep yeah. the momentum going Momentum right. is my word. Go read my post from today, <laughs> all right. right? Yeah. Okay, guys. We will see you all next right. week. Bye. Thanks. Take Bye. Care. See you guys.